Father, we thank you for your faithfulness this morning and forever, God. In every situation, you are faithful. You've been faithful to save us, to forgive us. And God, you are faithful to save our families, to restore marriages this morning. God, we trust in you and we praise you.
on, just slip your hands up. Are you God? Are you God? switch those three words in that song and we're going to sing you are God and we're going to prophesy that addictions are going to be broken that prodigals are going to come home that the lost are going to be saved that those who have wandered far are coming back near come on let's prophesy this song right now the scriptures everyone to find the scriptures if you do not have your Bible you can find a Bible in the pew rack there or on your 
mobile device, whatever, just pull up the scriptures because I want everyone reading along. It's important. You see the word of God from Luke chapter 15. You see the very words of Christ here in Luke chapter 15, beginning to read with verse 11. While you're finding that passage, I have a core belief that America needs an awakening. That more important than anything else, a spiritual revival needs to hit our nation. That that will right the ship. That's what we need. And I believe what we're doing tonight, I know that Pastor Rayleigh is coming with a word from the Lord. If you were here three weeks ago tonight, you will know that you heard a word from God. And he's going to be back tonight. And we're believing that Revival Sunday nights are going to intensify. People are going to get stirred. Families are going to get stirred. Amen. People are coming to Christ. And Jesus speaks in Luke 15, verse 11. A certain man had two sons. Thank you, Worship Arts Department, leading us into God's presence. He had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Please keep your Bibles open. You may be seated. How many have ever thrown a pebble into a pool of water. You've thrown a pebble. Come on, everybody hold up your hand. You've thrown a pebble into a pool of water. How many have ever thrown a rock into a pool of water? A sizable piece of something you've thrown in. With ev the largeness of every object, the rippling effect gets greater. I was on a cruise a number of years ago, and we went into Glacier Bay in Alaska. And I watched what you're about to see, the calving, that's the breaking off of large chunks of the glacier. And as they hit the water, waves so large that our massive ocean liner was literally rocking. Watch. of a mile away and it rocks a boat, a ship. And our lives are to so be filled with the aroma of Christ that we're to have a rippling effect on those around us. Somebody say me an amen. We were created to have an impact on our world and to leave the aroma of Christ. It is a scriptural thing to honor those to whom honor is due. And that's what we're doing in this three-week series. You know, I set the stage. Pastor passed away three weeks ago yesterday. He was promoted into the presence of Christ. Today is day 22. But I can show you scripturally it is a right thing to honor. Even under the law, it was scriptural to honor for seven days or 30 days. Moses was honored uh, for 30 days. Jacob honored for 70 days. It is a scriptural thing. And so our church family has been paying honor to a man that left his imprint that had a rippling effect upon our lives. Come on, somebody say amen. For 53 years he served in this church. Eight years ago becoming pastor emeritus but still continuing to serve and, and to, to be loved. But as he extended the aroma of Christ, he was leaving a rippling effect upon all of our lives. Paul said you've got 10,000 teachers in the body of Christ, but very few fathers. We had a spiritual father among us. And he left a strong rippling effect upon our lives. I went to his Bible this week. He's got a number of Bibles that he wore out over the years. 
And uh, I, I went to the latest Bible that he was using and he would preach out of and uh, teach Sunday school class out of. And I, I found a list of names there of people in this church that he would pray over on a regular basis. He had our names there. And he was praying faithfully as a pastor and lifting up marriages that were in need of prayer and people who were sick and people who had challenges in their lives and church family that just needed to be prayed over. And he had that list of names. I, I began to think, I wonder how many sermons he preached in 53 years. How many Sunday school lessons, his, whole, his ministry had been in the ministry 65 years, but 53 here. He taught Sunday school all of his life, only missing the Sundays that he would be out of town, which were very few over the 65 years, 53 years here. He taught Sunday school because he believed in life groups. He believed in Sunday school. How many lessons does that add up to uh, 65 times 52 uh, Sundays over that many years? I'm, I'm telling you, he, he believed in the Word of God. I begin to think of how many prayer meetings, how many hospital calls, how many counseling sessions, how many weddings, how many funerals. He and I did probably hundreds of funerals together over the almost 41 years that I've been here on staff. Babies that were dedicated. Somebody posted one of the most uh, heart-touching uh, uh, baby dedication pictures yesterday on social media, and I was just really touched. My dad was dedicating a baby uh, a number of years ago, maybe 22, 23 years ago, and as this little baby girl is being dedicated, the mother of the son that little girl would grow up to marry is seated in the choir loft in the background of the picture. And there just sort of prophetically was a picture uh, of a little girl and a, a mother of a son uh, that one day these families would be joined through holy wedlock and, and a wonderful marriage that is Christ honoring today. But I, I thought of all the ministry, the rippling effect. How, how can you put it into words? 53 years in one church family and all the, the God bless you's, the prayers uh, that were prayed. It's been overwhelming, the response of church family and friends as they've shared uh, many different ways that Pastor Cecil left an imprint, a rippling effect. I want you to watch the screens in just a moment of three testimonies from just three different members. Now, we could, we could have a lot of people testify, and these three are just sharing from their heart of their impact or the rippling effect that Pastor Cecil had on their life. But everyone has a testimony. This church has an imprint. We can't go anywhere or, or, or do anything without seeing something that Pastor Wiggins believed in and something he was passionate about because he was passionate about helping people. But I want you to watch the stream. Three wonderful testimonies. How's everybody doing? I'm, I'm Blaine Osteen, and I wanted to share a few things about prison ministry and, and Pastor Cecil Wiggins. And the first thing that came to my mind was it's been several years ago, I was, he called me up to speak and wanted me to give a testimony about what happened at the prison that day or the day before. And when I was up there speaking, you know, I get, get pretty passionate when I speak. But there's one thing you didn't do on Cecil Wiggins' stage. You didn't chew gum. And uh, I was speaking away and my gum that was tucked away, it flew out of my mouth. I caught it in midair. Can you believe it? Pastor Wiggins, I don't believe I ever saw him. If he did, he never said a word to me. But God blessed and just kept right on speaking. So I remember that about him. But I remember Pastor Wiggins, when he and I talked, most of the time we talked about the prison ministry. And he'd always tell me about the jail ministry. He used to go into Duval County jails here in Jacksonville way back when he came to Jacksonville. And, and he called it the bullpen. He said, that's what called the bullpen. Then he said they'd go in there on a Sunday afternoon him and some of the other men and he said they'd be giving testimonies and teaching and preaching and singing he said there'd be a scuffle or two break out two or three times during he said they'd get them settled down a little bit and he said by the time they gave the altar call everything would be calmed down and men would come to Christ but I remember something he told me he said they were leaving that bullpen one day and one of the men with him an inmate had spoke to him and said man I don't have any shoes to wear that man that was with Pastor Wiggins that day took his shoes off and gave them to that inmate and he walked out in his socks. And I remember Pastor Wiggins telling me the same story twice. It made such an impact on his life at a young age as a young pastor that it impacted his love for prison ministry. 
Many times we didn't know, but he went down to Florida State Prison, went to death row, and he went with us sometimes down to death row into confinement to visit inmates. And he had a love for him, a sincere love. The Monday morning prayer meeting for all the years, he would always ask for testimonies of what happened in the prisons the weekend before. And he'd also want to have prayer over those prisons. And I want to tell you today, prayer is what makes a difference in our hearts and lives and in any ministry, whether it's prison ministry or any ministry that we do. But prayer makes a difference. And he was a man of prayer. Right now, 22 years later, we're, we have seven or eight teams from about 15 or 20 churches all over Northeast Florida that are doing prison ministry all over the state of Florida. And this year alone in 2018, there will be 250 services in the prisons for those that are incarcerated. And when Paul was in prison, when he was in Rome, Paul says at the end here that all forsook him. And I will ask you today, Will we forsake those that are incarcerated, those that are inmates, those that have less, those that have no hope? And I ask you today to just think about praying for those men and women that are incarcerated and also to take heart and maybe volunteer to be a part of what they're doing. Pastor Wiggins, if he could say to us, he said, remember to pray for them and intercede. I had somebody tell me today that my mother-in-law, when she prayed, her and my father-in-law, they'd get down on their knees. And I want to challenge you today. You know, a lot of times, sometimes things like that, things are the old way, the old time way. They get on our knees, we don't have to get there, and we don't have to. But a broken and contrite spirit, God will not despise. And so a lot of times we can humbly get down on our knees and we can seek God to know that he will hear and answer prayer. It says his eyes and ears are attentive to our prayers. So I ask you to seek God today, to go after God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm so thankful for the impact Pastor Wiggins made on my heart. He never will know and people will never know the times I was discouraged in prison ministry that he came along beside me and says, Blake, how's it going? And he would encourage me. And I'm so thankful for that, but he only did that. He blessed my family and strengthened my family, encouraged my family, and I'm thankful for that. And I just want to thank you for this opportunity to share today. And I want to encourage each and every person under the sound of my voice to go after God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God doesn't need half-hearted worshipers, but he wants our whole heart. God bless you. Thank you. Brian Nettles, as you all know, I'm, the, I'm part of the church. I've been here 26 years. pastor has been praying for me for since I, before I came out of the womb. Um, there's plenty of times where I've been in and out of the hospital and Pastor would get phone calls saying I was in the hospital and he would stop and pray for me no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, he would just stop every day, every prayer meeting at 5.30 in the morning because they would have every Monday morning prayer meeting and he would ask my grandfather how I was doing when I was in the hospital and he would just stop in the midst of whatever he was doing in the prayer meeting and pray for me. I mean, this man really touched my life. Pastor Sister really meant a lot to me. And didn't matter what I was going through, he was always there. I mean, he really touched my life. And when I found out that this situation happened to him, I mean, it was very sad, but I knew he was in a better place, and I know we're all going to be there one day. So what I'm saying is, if you're not right with Jesus, it's just a good day you need to get right. I'm not telling you to get right, but if you're not right with God, you need to get right. Because we all want to be where Pastor Cecil is. And no matter what you're going through, Pastor was always praying for you. It didn't matter if he didn't know you, physically, mentally, spiritually. He was either praying for you no matter what you were going through. Thank you for listening. In 1981, uh, I made a deal with God. I'm a truck driver and I was making my last drop in Chiefland. And as I was driving before I got to Waldo, I. In, in between the time of Chieflin and Waldo, I had talked to God and made a deal with him that if he could get me to Pastor Wiggins' 
office that I would go in and talk to him. It was impossible. I mean, I knew that I could not get to the church. I mean, it, it just wasn't enough time in the day to drive and swap out my trailer, you know? So um, God makes miracles. On the way to Ocala, I knew that during the times that I had been there, it had always taken me almost an hour to get my load. That day was unbelievable. I never got stopped by a traffic light. Everything was green. I got to Ocala. The lady walked out on the dock, gave me my manifest. I dropped my trailer. I left Ocala, and between Ocala and the church, I never got stopped by any traffic light. That's unbelievable. And I knew when I made this deal, it was impossible for me to get here because I'd run it for many times. Before I got to the yard, I had opened a pack of cigarettes and I smoked one. And I laid them up on my dash of the truck and I came in on the yard and I knocked on the door. And that time Gary and the pastor was there and it was in the small church across the street. And I went in to talk to the pastor and, and we kneeled, kneeled down at a bench that he had in the office and Gary was there. I don't know if Gary remembers it or not because this is 37 years ago. And so I got to say, <clears throat> I got saved. But that was was great that I got saved, but the miracle was that, I mean, I drank. I was an alcoholic, smoked cigarettes. But from that day, I've never smoked a cigarette or drank anything. I, uh, I know I was, I knew that God had done a blessing on me and I just, it's hard to, to actually explain, but it's a miracle. I mean, I've never had a withdrawal. I've never had a problem with anybody smoking. I've never had a problem. I've been around people that drank. And to this day, I've never had the urge. So, I mean, God, God, God's real. And I thank him. And I know it wasn't good. To me. I mean, I, I, I was a, a father that worked, but I never had, never done anything with my kids. And that's what hurts. My childhood was <clears throat> not the loving home per se, as far as being hugged on or kissed or even told that I was loved by my daddy very much. I remember him going to work all the time. He hardly ever stayed out of work. But I do remember the evenings. They were kind of rough sometimes. He would come home and he would be drunk. He would <laughs> come in smoke his cigarettes, ask us to ask us as children to even go get his beer. Um, that was part of my childhood that I remember. Um, even times he was so drunk he would sleep out in the car and be throwing up. But as I grew up, um, I got married, I had children. And my dad's miracle came after that. He seemed to be a different person, a more loving, caring father. It's just different now. He is a loving dad. He will call me and tell me how much he loves me and he misses me. And he's so glad that we're, we're back together 
as father and daughter. Life is good. God is good. And without him, we are nothing. Can you say praise the Lord? Aren't you thankful that Jesus transforms lives? Such were all of us, but the grace of God came into our lives. And God uses people to have a rippling effect to see people make decisions to serve Christ. Our series, the last series, Sit With Me. We got through the prodigal, or we got through the lost sheep. And we looked at the lost sheep, that there were 99 sheep, and one sheep was lost out of the 100, and the, the, the shepherd left the fold and went to find that one. We looked at the lost coin that the woman left the, the nine other coins that she had to search diligently to find one coin. We never made it to the prodigal, and that's why I wanted to read from this text. Because in the scriptures you had the 100 sheep, you had the 10 coins, and you had the two sons. But the lost were important. The wayward were important. So much so that they were to be sought out intentionally. Friends, Jesus said, I have come to call sinners to repentance. In verse 1 of this passage, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and the sinners to hear him. The sinners came to Jesus. Isn't that a strange thing? If Jesus were here today, I believe this house would be filled with sinners. They drew to him. Something's got to happen in the churches across America. They don't need to be shunned. They need to be embraced. And there needs to be something going on in the house of God that attracts people uh, that have been living outside of the goodness of God and the grace of God. The sinners and publicans came to hear Jesus. I want to ask us this morning a very frank question, friends. What's keeping them from coming today? They sought Jesus out. The Pharisees, look at verse 2, everyone. The scribes, the religious folk, they murmured against Jesus and said, this man receives sinners. But he was on point. He was on task. He never forsook, forsook his mission. He said, I've come to seek and save the lost. He was a friend of sinners. That's why he went searching through Jericho. He goes all the way through Jericho to find Zacchaeus. And we preached about Zacchaeus. And I, I talked to you about finding Zach around your life. Two weeks ago today on Easter Sunday morning, in the early service, a, a young man introduced himself. He said, I'm Zach. I hear you've been preaching about me. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm commissioning the church. We need to find Zacchaeus. Amen. And we need to introduce him to Christ. And so Jesus tells the parable of the father who has two sons here, beginning with verse 11. Now, if you know and understand the historic setting, the oldest son was due double the inheritance of the other children. Being two sons, the girls did not receive inheritance unless there were no brothers. But the eldest of the sons would always receive a double portion. And so it fell out with two sons that the younger son would receive basically one-third of the inheritance. And it says in verse 11 that this man had two sons and the younger of them says, Father, give me my portion of the inheritance. Verse 13, not many days after the, the younger son takes his inheritance and he goes into a far country. Listen, the devil wants to pull you away from what's right, holy, and good in your life. The devil wants to pull people away from sure moorings and safe places in the things of God. And he, he takes his possessions and he goes into a far country. And verse 13 says he wasted his substance with riotous living. If you look that up in the Greek, it was living in a ruinlessly uh, lifestyle of excess. The devil's pathway is always a pathway of excess. When you come to Christ, you learn how to discipline your life. You learn how to live within the scope and the boundaries of the laws of Christ, putting God first, amen. 
The devil wants to exploit the pleasures of sin in our lives. And we have to understand that when we come to Christ, it's a life of denial of the things of the world and the things of the flesh, the pride of life and the lust of the flesh, so that we might follow Christ and make him Lord of every aspect of our life. That's what discipleship is. Being a Christian is not just attending church on Sunday morning. It is a lifestyle where Jesus is Lord and we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness over our lives. The devil wants to pull you into a life of excess because he knows he'll ruin your life through those excesses. Living a disciplined life helps you to live an overcoming life. This younger son, he goes into the far country. It says in he, he joins himself, verse 14, he spent all and there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. I want everybody to look at verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Be careful who you make an allegiance with. Oh, I got a word on this Sunday morning. Be careful who you join yourself to. We do not need to be unequally yoked with those in life that will pull us away from the things of God and pull us away from our relationship with Christ. Be careful. He joined himself to a citizen of that country. The devil will set you up and position people around you to attract you away from the things of God and the bedrock uh, uh, salvation experience that you are to have and you're to stand upon. And he will put people in your path and this younger son joins himself and before you know it, he literally becomes a slave to this citizen of this country. And the slave owner puts him out. Now, here is the the utmost of defilement to a young Jewish man. He is sent out to feed the swine. They had nothing to do with swine, with pigs. It was utter defilement to a Jew. And here we have a Jewish young man that is away from home. He's completely being defiled with the swine. And not only is he there feeding the swine, he is eating what the swine eat. I'm telling you, the devil will take you down as low as you allow him to take you. There's got to be something that rises up in, the, in our hearts and lives uh, to realize that uh, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy according to John 10, 10. But Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. I want the worship team to come. And when he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, no man gave unto him. The devil will waste all your living. Listen, you can be at the pinnacle of success and the devil can take it all in the, just the snap of a finger. I've watched it. You've watched it. We've watched it in life. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're at. The devil will set you up for failure. Because his ultimate goal is the deception and the destruction of your soul. And here is a young man that he is out as a servant, as a slave in the field with swine, utter defilement. And he comes to his senses. These verses said he, he came to his senses. He began to shake himself. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit began to shake some folk. The Holy Spirit began to awaken some people that the devil's been doing his dirty work long enough and it's time we awaken and realize that my, the servants in my father's house have it better than me serving the devil and, and all of his work here in these fields. He was headed for a breakthrough, a turnaround. And I just believe there's somebody under the sound of my voice that God's wanting to change some things. You've been on a wrong course. You've been joined to a citizen of another country. Uh, you've been out feeding swine when God has something far greater for you. Amen. The younger son realizes his, his place. He real, some, the Holy Spirit will help to open your eyes and for you to realize where you are. And he said, I will arise. Everybody say arise. I love that word. Arise. I will arise and go to my father's house. I want everybody to stand, but don't leave.
I want to close this thing. I want to land this plane with some good news. As I told the people in the early service this morning, there's another end to this story. And there's an end about grace and mercy. That on the other end of the equation, there's a father that never gave up looking for a son. You know, the church has got to be a friend to sinners that we never give up on people. Where would we be if God had given up on us? Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Blaine. We don't give up on prisoners who are in prison. We don't give up on people who have made wrong choices in life. We don't write them off. We understand God is a God of grace and mercy. And the church is to embrace people and help people find their their calling in Christ. Look what happens to this younger son. Made mistakes. But he says, I'm going back to father's house. I'm going back to my father's house. Even the servants have it better. I'm going back to father's house. The father is there. When the son comes into purview, when the son comes just where the father's standing there looking. I tell you, the church needs a different posture. We need a posture of faith where we're looking for sons and daughters to come in these doors and come down these aisles and come to the water fountain tomorrow to talk to us while we're at work. We need a posture that we're looking that Hey, we had a spiritual father among us that he just loved on people. And that's why we've seen the outpouring that's been witnessed And I'm telling you, when the church postures themselves, that we're there looking down the long, dusty roads, looking for people, trying to find where is Zach this week? Where is uh, the one that needs to, to experience the love of Christ and be restored to Father's house? And that young son, that young adult son comes down that dusty road and his father runs to him. And his father wraps him up and kisses him on the neck and embraces him. I'm telling you, there's people out here that need the warm embrace of the church. People that are lost, they're wayward. They're without Christ. And Jesus makes all the change and all the difference. I close with this. His father embraces him and says, go get the robe. And go get the ring. My son has come home today. The father is waiting to restore us to a place of sonship. To be seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be distant from the love of Christ. But the father is calling you. Come home. Come home come home I believe we're entering a very prophetic hour God's word says that in the last days there's going to be a great outpouring of the spirit and I believe we're about to see one of the largest harvest of souls we've ever seen something's happening as generals of the faith are being taken to heaven There are some strong spiritual signals in our world, friends, that the coming of the Lord is getting closer and closer. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the posture of Evangel Temple Church family is we've got to get the robe and we've got to get the ring. There's a lot of prodigals that are coming home. Amen. There's a lot of sons that are coming, a lot of daughters that are coming. How many have some prodigal family members that need to come home? Wave your hand at me. Come on, you've got some prodigal members. With every head bowed and every eye closed. One of the last.
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I am calling. My spirit is drawing. I am dealing with people in the midnight hours. I have heard your prayers. I have heard the cries of your heart. And I am calling people to repentance. I am calling them to forsake the pig pen. To throw off the works that have held them. And to come running to the Father's love. To be set free from things that have held them in bondage. And to know the love of Christ which constrains us all. Yea, my spirit is dealing with people. But the church must be ready. I am drawing them, but the church must be ready. I am working in their lives, but the church must be ready. I want the church to be ready with a ring and with a robe and to embrace the prodigals as I bring them home. Come home, come home, come home. I invite you right now, if there's spiritual needs in your life, make your way to this altar right now. I'm not going to belabor this prayer this altar call but if you have spiritual needs in your life I invite you to come to this altar right now right now friends if you're not where you ought to be with Christ if you've never given your life to Jesus if you've never confessed his lordship over your life if you've never been saved that means to be born again that means to accept Christ into your life do what these are doing right now come on friends come come the simple plan of salvation is that God loves you so much He sent Christ to die on a cruel cross and to be buried in a tomb, but then be resurrected so that you can have the newness of life. And I invite you to come. Come on, there's some that are struggling with some sinful habits that you need to be free. A truck driver who was an alcoholic was, I was there that day, instantaneously set free from a life of alcoholism. Instantaneously and never a drop since. And he's here in this room right now. Come on, come. Come on, if there's been some things that have gripped your life and you need prayer on this Sunday morning as in the early service this morning, I invite you to come. We're gonna sing this song one time and then I'm gonna pray, but come on, let's sing it.
disturb these who are praying, but I always want to close reading the blessing, the ironic blessing over our church family every Friday night in every Jewish home around the world. This ironic blessing is declared. People often say, why are the Jews so blessed? Because they believe in this blessing. And so we're going to read it. I want you to be back tonight at 6 o'clock for the revival service. But would you lift your hands? Following this blessing, if you need special prayer, continue to come to the front. If you need to pray before you leave the sanctuary, you come. But Moses was told by the Lord, this is how you are to bless my children. On this wise, the Lord bless thee and the Lord keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace and you will put my name on your children and I will bless them. Amen. Come on, everybody say amen. Two things in closing. Those of you that would like to greet Frank White, he'll be right down front over here to my right and uh, he's a great representative in our, our legislature but also everybody that's interested in e-serve getting finding a place of service getting connected meet me in the choir room right, right out this door to my right god bless you you're dismissed these can continue praying in the altars and anyone else that needs prayer i invite you to come to these altars right now if you need to pray don't leave till you pray